Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions and this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria. Hi, this is Lily, and today we have the honor of having Dr. Jimmy Shaw with us. Non-traditional path. Those three words make up the path of leadership for Dr. Jimmy D. Shaw, Jr. Jimmy grew up in a blue-collar area where dreams of factory jobs and middle-class values were the norm. Through many decisions to follow that same town narrative, Jimmy worked in a textile mill while taking nine years to get a four-year degree in secondary education. He then began his career as a teacher and coach. Fast forward six years later, and Dr. Shaw's leadership journey begins in earnest. He becomes an assistant principal and begins doctoral classes at Samford University. It is there that he is introduced to Good to Great by Jim Collins and Robert Greenleaf's seminal work, Unservant Leadership. Those two books describe a special kind of leader, a servant leader. The ideals, beliefs, and philosophies espoused in those two books that focused on servant leaders changed the direction of his life. This became the subject of his dissertation and the focus of the way that he leads. Dr. Shaw is currently serving as the assistant superintendent of Florence City School System of Florence, Alabama. As a 10-year administrator, Shaw takes the pillars of servant leadership and applies them to grow all those around him. This is rooted in his feeling of being a called servant and a person that has chosen to lead. So welcome, Dr. Jimmy Shaw. How are you? I'm great, Lily. How about you? I'm doing well. We're so happy to have you on our podcast. And as you know, this podcast takes us on a journey to master leadership. And we want to do that today by asking you key questions. So are you ready to pour into our listeners? Absolutely. Jimmy, can you share with us a bit about your leadership journey? Currently, I serve as assistant superintendent for Florence City Schools. I took a bit of an odd journey to get there. Um, Growing up, my family were factory workers, both parents. It's kind of what I aspired to be. Um, My parents aspired for me to be something else, doctor, attorney. My journey did take me to college, to a night shift factory job, going to school in the daytime, working at night. It was a long journey. It took me about eight years to actually finish college. Once I finished college and education, began to be a teacher and a coach. And that is really when I got the first taste of leadership, leading a group of young men and young ladies in coaching. My career took a few turns. Thought I'd always be a coach. Thought I'd always be a great classroom teacher. I had a friend of mine who was in desperate need of an assistant principal. So he called me after numerous rounds of interviews with other people to come help him out for a few years. Just years a of, few years, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that has turned into probably almost 10 years now. Wow. So, so you, you are that, a reluctant leader, huh? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I had no desire to be an administrator. I had no desire really to lead anybody other than a group of young people. 
I never saw myself in that light or that role. I always saw myself as a good soldier, mm-hmm. good Indian, but never a chief. So what did you coach? I coached football, basketball, track, and wrestling. And what did you teach? I taught social studies. So I taught government economics, and I taught pre-AP or college-bound American history, and I taught regular U.S. history and world history. So that's along the whole journey, different different times, different places. Wow, a great slew of experiences that brought you to this point in time. Yes, ma'am. So how would you describe your leadership style? My leadership style, honestly, I mean, it's cliche, but I really do feel like my leadership style is servant leadership. I really do feel like that I get the most joy out of pouring into other people. My juices flow Mm -hmm. when I look at people as what they could be and really pouring into them in the context of a vision of a school district for me, but not really just a school district, really any walk of life. When I Mm -hmm. see people, I see them as they could be a lot. And that really lends itself to the servant leadership style. Hmm. Wow. So, you know, that's not typical. I mean, it's been of the people we've been interviewing, which is really encouraging. But that vision of servant leadership, it's not typical for ed leadership. At least my experience has been. It's been a very top down, you know, you do as I say kind of thing. I think it's shifting thanks to conversations that a lot of us are having and, you know, mastermind groups, just having really good conversations around really effective leadership. So that's great. So Jimmy, can you tell us which quote or quotes about leadership speak to you and why? For me, the best quote is from a guy named Eric Thomas. He has this quote that says, innovation is rewarded, but execution is worshiped. And for me as a leader, that has been almost a grounding quote for me because it reminds me that in leadership and really in all walks of life, we all have this tendency to throw out these great ideas and throw out these big visions. And while ideas are phenomenal, it is the execution of those ideas that make the world go. We don't write books about great ideas usually. We don't make movies about great ideas. What we do is uh, we write books and make movies and celebrate those people who really execute. Right. And that's a great point. So tell me again the quote, innovation is rewarded, execution execution is worshipped. Is worshipped. I've not heard that quote, and I really like it because you're right. You know, visionaries really are a dime a dozen. It's those who can shift or pivot an organization to help attain that vision, which is a great leader of all the leadership quotes why that one when i look at my life i think the things that i've accomplished i've always had big ideas Mm -hmm. Um, i really didn't start reading books until i was 20 and so at age 20 i started massively reading books for the midnight shelf on 12-hour shifts i was going to school but in between semesters i'd gotten such a hunger for learning that i just started going to bookstore and massively buy books what happened then at 20 that pivoted you I'm kind of in college because, you know, that's what everybody does. Mm-hmm. And what happens at 20 is we have an incident at work and we're all piling up. There's a company about an hour away from where I live called International Paper. And the International Paper was taking applications. And our supervisor kind of walked upon us as we were all having this conversation about carpooling for International Paper to put in these applications. And he says to us, why would International Paper hire any of you? My answer was, hey, because I'm a hard worker. He said, for what we pay you, hard workers are a dime a dozen. What else can you do? If I pay enough, I can find hard workers. What skill set do you have to bring to the table? And that kicked off in me something more important than my degree. 
my degree became super important. But also at that time, I really began to kind of search for who am I, what are my skills. And so I began to read a lot of different books, self-help books, some different books about history. I started to read a ton of books, even fiction books. I started to find an entire world that I'd never known about. So you became insatiable. I did. I bought hundreds of books. Wow. Yeah. And so quite often there's a pivotal moment in our lives where, you know, whether the person is well-meaning or not, they right. say something to us, right? And I don't, I'm not right. sure if this guy was well-meaning, but it did shift you. And, you know, you did listen. That's something that leaders do. Listen for opportunities. And so that was an opportunity for you. That's great. So, Jimmy, what type of leader are you inspired by and why? For me, the leaders that are have the bravery or the leaders who have the soundness of mind to understand their base and who they are, what their path is, and they really walk their path for no other reason than they realize that they've been put on this earth to at least do a thing. Mm-hmm. And those types of leaders for me, I don't care if they are cooks and they make sweet potato pies. They understand that that is the thing that they do in life to impact other people. And they walk their path and they are unapologetic about their path. They don't get into the idea of what you think about their level. Mm -hmm. What they understand is, is this is what I've been gifted to do to impact other people. And I am going to do it. And they are uncompromising. So a leader who understands their purpose. That's correct. And is extremely intentional about their lives. To me, that's very inspirational as well. And you seem to be that exact type of leader. Um, I have a feeling you've discovered your purpose. You're just trying to figure out ways to accomplish it. And that's, I think, where a lot of us are, right? And that's why we're mastering leadership together, right? We're growing. So, Jimmy, what's the best advice you've ever received? So it's kind of two pieces. One is, I heard a guy say once, be the authentic you, Mm. because anything less is just a cheap imitation. Nobody can beat you at being you, and you surely cannot beat anyone else. Mm. And the other one is, pick a system in life and stick to the system and fully commit to the system. Truly live by the system. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you get swayed and moved by every wind that blows. Right. And there's so many distractions. So what have you learned about that advice? I've learned that we often say that we have a set of core values, but it is not until that you really begin to self-assess what you do compared to those values that you really begin to realize how close or how far you are. I think the most successful people in the world are successful because they have a goal in mind and they have the ability to self-assess and make adjustments. Right. Most of us don't. We all self-assess, but then we don't like what the assessment says. We won't make the adjustment. Or we're delusional about our self-assessment. That is correct. You're a two on a scale of one to ten, and you, but you think you're a seven or eight. Yes, ma'am. So, but, you know, self-assessment is a skill that's necessary to be a good leader, right? You have to really lead yourself well. So what would you advise someone who wants to really grow in that area? To me, I think, first of all, you have to have a standard. Mm -hmm. And so that goes back to the system. I don't know what your standard is, Mm -hmm. but you have to have a standard in which you think you should be living by or or acting upon. And I think you have to assess yourself based on that. People talk about feedback all the time. But to me, one of the things that most people who love you don't really give you, they don't really give you real feedback. They give you soft feedback, (laughs) you know, 
or every now and again, they'll shoot you a hard one and then they'll cover it in about four or five different coddles. I think if you can't find anyone to give you feedback, I have found that your enemies, those who criticize you oftentimes are some of your best sources of feedback. Mm-hmm. Because usually where there's smoke, there's fire. It may not mm-hmm. all be true, but it really gives you something to look at and say, is this who I am or is this what I do? So it is important to listen to our critics. And I know that for me, Jimmy, self-assessment is a skill. It's something that you do practice um, in order to get it right. You don't get it 100% right. But to have a coach on your team, to select someone who mentors you or a coach is extremely important because they're the ones that can push you where you want to go. And they're on your team. They're on your side. But they don't coddle you. So, Jimmy, I'm assuming, you know, as a coach, you've worked with a lot of teams. As a superintendent, you've done the same. So what does it mean to have a good team and how would you build or sustain one? To me, to have a good team means that you don't all have to agree on how you do what you do, but you all need to agree on why you do what you do within the organization. There has to be that big picture, that big vision goal. It has to be a one vision. Mm -hmm. You may see yourself within that team as a different piece of that vision, but you all have to see a very narrow vision. For me in a school system, it is student success. And you may see your role in that student success differently as a custodian, or you may see it as a librarian, as a teacher, as an administrator, No matter your role in the vision, every day that we wake up to go to a school system, the vision has to be student success. Mm -hmm. And we have to have the same core values about that. We may not have the same principles. We may not believe in the same way to get there. But I think the closer that you get to that, the better and stronger your team is. Mm -hmm. So it comes down to the why. Yes. Even when you have a team. There may be some people that push back and ask you, well, why are we doing this? You know, uh, yeah. and it's an important question to respond to. And it speaks to purpose and all that. Now, Jimmy, can you tell us about a challenge that you've experienced and how it has shaped your life? Back in 2011, I spent four years in the assistant principal at high school and our principal retired. Mm-hmm. And it was a pretty foregone conclusion that I would be the next principal and it didn't happen. Mm. And there was a period of time where you kind of wonder what went wrong. But it really made me sit back and reflect on why are you doing what you're doing? Are you doing what you're doing for a position or are you doing what you're doing because you are called to serve kids? And it really helped me clarify and hone that. I don't think that I would have been as clear about what I do had I not had that experience. Mm -hmm. And it was a hard lesson to learn, Mm -hmm. but it was a needed lesson. So that's interesting because a lot of administrators go through that where mm-hmm. they're up for jobs and they're almost sure they got it. And, right. you you know, you know you aced it or you know you nailed it, right? right. And right. then someone else gets the position and that can be disheartening. Right. What advice would you give someone who's gone through that? And I'm sure some of our listeners have. Now, you did talk about how that helped you to really look at your why, why you do what you do. But developing that grit, because that happens often, and sometimes it happens over and over again. So what advice would you give us? One of my mentors was rejected five times before she was hired as a principal. 
And she sat me down, had a long conversation with me one day about that. And you're right. And it does help you build grit. But you have to ask yourself, am I in the service industry for the purpose of service? Or am I in the service industry for the purpose of being upwardly mobile? And there's nothing wrong with wanting to be upwardly mobile. You have to ask yourself the question, which is first? Mm-hmm. Am I here to serve first or lead first? Mm-hmm. And once you get that order right, a lot of other things become more clear. My advice was to be, don't be bitter. So you're going to go through a period of disappointment. You're going to go through a period of heartache. But you really have to ask yourself at the end of the day, Am I in it for the right reason? Am I in the right place? Mm -hmm. Because if you're in it for the right reason and you are truly planted in the right place, then continue to grow in that place. Honestly, as aspiring leaders, we find ourselves in the wrong place. And I say that because we begin to look at our core values and look at the values of the organization and they don't align. Mm -hmm. You might not be getting jobs because your core values and the place that you're at, core values don't align. But if they align and you didn't get the job, then I would say go back to the lab and work on you mm-hmm. and work on your craft and continue to serve kids. But being bitter shows you as being selfish and you won't prosper that way. And I think at this point, when things like this happen, having a coach is a great opportunity to grow. I agree. The coach can help you self-reflect at that point. Because, I mean, the reality of it was the retiring going out principal closed the door the day after the board met and had a very short but very powerful conversation with me. The conversation with me was, I know you're hurt, but the reality of it was, Jimmy, they didn't choose you. Get over yourself. Mm-hmm. Go out here and serve these kids like you've served for four years. It's probably the best advice. Go do the work. Mm-hmm. Not the job. I understand what the job is. Right. But whatever your work is, if it's still the work, then go do the work until right. the next opportunity comes along. Right. I work in this program called the Pyramid Model, and what we do is we work with organizations to help develop social-emotional competencies in preschoolers. And so what's interesting is that as we develop social-emotional competencies of preschoolers, we're developing the same in the adults. So we need to also be the change that we wish to see in them, right? So they're going to encounter failures and they're going to encounter Mm -hmm. situations like that. And so we need to always remember that others are watching us and how we respond to things is important. So I really appreciate what you said there. Jimmy, can you tell us about one of your greatest successes and how it has shaped your life and the life of those around you? Me receiving a doctorate of education was big, but it was big from the perspective of perseverance. I've been a slow developer in education. It took me eight years to get my undergrad, but I quit and went back. I quit and went back. Then I kind of sailed through my master's, sailed through my specialist. But in 2008, I began my doctoral process. And in between 2008 and 2013, when I received it, my wife was in the hospital for a long period of time. We had triplets. I changed jobs within the middle of that. This whole deal with the high school principalship happened in between all of that. I had premature babies in the hospital for three months. I mean, a lot went on. Jimmy, you see my face, right? What? All that was happening. And my former superintendent one day gave me a call. And it was spring break, and she asked what I was doing that day. And I said, well, I'm at home, relaxing, blah, blah, blah. She says, we need to finish that doctorate. And I told her, I'm finished. I've went through too much, had too many issues. I can't. And she just said, can she come over and see me? She came over with a pile of books. 
She never asked me anything. She laid the books out and said, okay, let's go to work. And that was the beginning of my journey. I had a special professor, Dr. Newton, that when I was in my doctoral classes, never let me give up. I look back on it now, I tell people, it is the perseverance. Mm -hmm. The doctoral class for me was never about the intelligence. I know some people wear it on their sleeves like it is, Mm -hmm. but doctoral classes are not about intelligence. They are all about, can you persevere with nobody pushing you? And you finish. And for me, I was blessed enough to have two people along the journey and my wife and my mother. And your babies. Right. And so that's a really neat story because it speaks to the leadership, too, of your professor. Dr. Jody Newton. She She was phenomenal. And how she saw something in you that you didn't see in yourself at that time. Absolutely. She absolutely saw a future superintendent in me, a future leader in me that I did not see. Right. And she didn't stop at your resistance there. She persevered through tears and complaining, huffing and puffing. And she kept right on encouraging, right on pushing. She changed my life forever because she saw in me something that I had no clue about. And so here's what's really neat, Jimmy, as you're talking about that. I'm thinking about the impact that that moment in time had not only on your future, but your kid's future and the students that you lead, the organization that you're a part of, that moment in time where she just saw something in you and she didn't pull back because of your resistance. She continued to push in a very gentle and very respectful way. She valued you so Mm -hmm. much that you responded to that. And Mm -hmm. that's leadership. That's how Mm -hmm. everything rises and falls on leadership. That's how when John Maxwell talks about leadership is about influence, nothing more, nothing less. That just brings the point home. So I really appreciate that story. Okay, so Jimmy, what would you tell a new leader who's discouraged about their working climate or culture? I tell the new leader, right, wrong, or indifferent, whether we want to believe it or not. There's an old quote that says either you're the thermometer or you're the thermostat. And if you're a leader, you'd understand that you're the thermostat. You set the culture. Because one of two things are going to happen. I've seen it in classroom culture. I've seen it in coaching and team culture. I've seen it at the district office level culture now. Either you're going to shift the culture to where the culture is more reflective of who you are and what you believe in, or others will shift the culture and you will no longer be there. And that is the bottom line. I believe in Maxwell's quote wholeheartedly that leadership is influence, and that is the job of the leader. It Mm -hmm. is to influence others, to have the correct culture. Mm -hmm. And I've seen great influencers do it for good and for bad. Right. And so... In that situation, what if, let's say that person is an assistant principal and they don't really set the culture, they're just coming in. I mean, they do set the culture and the tone in some ways. How do you help them? So I was an assistant principal for four years. And here's what I learned after a few months. While I do not have the power in position per se to walk in and set a culture, I found that I could be super impactful on the culture of the school by impacting kids and parents. And each child that you interact with, each parent that you interact with, each teacher that you interact with, quietly you are having trench warfare and you're changing the culture one interaction at a time. Because you don't have the title does not mean you cannot change a culture. Leadership is not about a title. And at the very least, and I always say this, you really look at what you don't want to do, how you don't want to be. I agree. (laughs) I never want to do, I will never do, Yes, 
I've yeah. said all that too. Yeah. <laughs> So, Jimmy, many leaders describe themselves as lifelong learners. What does that mean to you, and what are you learning now? So, I'll go back to self-assessment again. To me, lifelong learning is really about assessing who you are and where you are in your journey and what you need at the time to be most impactful. You are always the student. You should always be a student. Mm -hmm. Maybe not the constant student as far as sometimes you're the teacher, sometimes you're the learner, but you are always the student. So you have to self-assess and make the adjustments. What am I learning now? I'm learning from one group of young men about family and relationships, and that's really been a shift for me. And right now I'm in school currently, working on my Master's of Divinity, so I'm learning more about my system, which is Christianity. And I'm also learning about myself. I belong to an online university, and it is basically based on you know learning about self mm-hmm. and adjusting self. And that's really where the idea about self-reflection comes in, self-assessment. Right. We met each other through a mastermind group and we got, to, yeah, we got to know each other a little more. One of the things that I loved about that group is that I think everybody that was on there, all leaders in education, most of them, everyone right. wanted to have people speak into their lives. And we created that mastermind, right? That other mind that helped us to learn more and grow. That was a great group of people. Yeah, that was fun. So, Jimmy, what have you read recently that our listeners should read and why? My favorite book outside of the Bible is probably Good to Great. If you have not read it, please do. I read an unusual book called The Orange Frog. That's a pretty good read. So both of those books really center around the idea that sometimes when you're the leader, you don't always walk in and have everybody on your side automatically. It is about coming in with your core set of beliefs and seeing if you can influence people not to be on your team, but to be on the side of the culture that you want to create. Mm -hmm. And this is a place that we want to be and things that we want to do. And these are the things we have to do. And I think both of those are great books that talk about that. Good to great. and The Orange Frog. The Orange Frog. Yeah, I think the guy's name is Sean, A-C-H-O-R. All right. Thank you so much for that. Jimmy, you have a lot of responsibility. You have three Mm. babies. How old are they now? They're six. They're in kindergarten. And you're leading a school district. So what do you do on a daily basis to set your mind for those responsibilities? I have a morning ritual that I started several years ago, but I have honed it more and more. I wake up between 3.30 and 4 every morning. What? Um, okay, you're officially my earliest riser. <laughs> I'm not the earliest riser in my group, believe it or not. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I have a ritual that every morning I get up, I drink a bottle of water, I have a three to five minute meditation period where it's not prayer, it's simply just freeing my mind. I drink a cup of coffee, and then I go into a 40-minute walk or so. And usually that walk entails more meditation and some prayer. And then from there, I'm usually good to do whatever the day brings. If I can get to my office early enough, I create a checklist. But as my children get older, they've kind of cut into that time. And they get <laughs> They're like, what? Checklist and and off the window. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that morning ritual, the water, meditation, coffee, walk, and prayer has been a constant for years. I am grounded when that happens, and if something wrecks that schedule for more than two or three days, then I find myself being reactive. Mm-hmm. It's something about lining up the thoughts mm-hmm. for the day that's magical for me. Mm-hmm. I really agree with that. When you set your mind, it's almost like a reset every day, yes. right? And I'm more a morning person, but even if you're not, I think it's good practice as a leader 
especially right. in our field, because if we're serving, then we need to set our mind to do that. Otherwise, you're absolutely right. Then we become reactive. And I think when we're getting up and doing the meditation and the ritual and a daily routine, we're more intentional. That's a great, great word. So you get up at 3.30. What time do you go to sleep? We put my children in the bed at 8 p.m. So <laughs> what happens is I sit in the room with them. And most nights, my wife, she's in there with us as well. Usually I fall asleep in the chair with the boys. But some nights my job doesn't allow me to do that. And it's 9.30, 10 o'clock before I get in the bed. But that goes back to the idea of consistency. When I've had lapses in life, they have all stemmed back to I was not consistent in my waking up time. And I'm just going to tell you, to keep that consistent piece, to keep that discipline, has made all the difference in the world. Right. For me. That's very honorable. But on the other end, you need sleep and we need to have you around. I, I agree with <laughs> so, that. I'll be very open and honest. That is something I struggle with. Yeah. There are some days on the weekends that I should be devoting to my family the whole day. But by 11 o'clock, I've crashed and burned on a Saturday before mm-hmm. and just been out because you run all week long. And it is not good. Right. So, you know, it leads us to the next question about maintaining that balance in your life, right? So I know that this is a challenge for leaders. And I know that you've encountered that. How do you rebound? So it's been a more concerted effort. And I have a a friend of mine that's kind of working with me as an accountability person right now. I actually have a small team. um, Mm -hmm. But the long and short of it is they have pushed me to filter all my activities through the lens of why am I doing this? I love that. Are you doing this because this is about the path and the journey that life has you on? Or are you doing this to please this one or please that one? Are you doing this for some superficial reason or is it truly about what's important? Mm. If family is important, serving other people in education is important, whatever is important to you. If you're doing things that does not fit into that filter, you really have to ask yourself, why are you doing that again? And so that has been going on for the last four or five months for me. So that's been a very interesting process of having people to hold me accountable to. So why are you doing that again? Right. And you <laughs> know what, Jimmy, I've asked several people this, and that seems to be a running theme that in order to be successful in this area, you need to have people speaking into your life because we don't see mm. that blind spot and that spot can be really big. Right. And for me as well, I mean, the other day I stopped and I said, I think I'm doing too much, Mm. you know, and then I reached out to people because I've experienced burnout, Jimmy. And Mm. I'm talking about physical burnout because I'm, you know, a lot of us are high achievers. Uh So to me, this area is really important because all of that work that you've done, all of the intentionality that you've had, all of that amazing service can come crashing if you don't take care of you. So I say that as someone who actually knows you a little bit more than our listeners do and who values you and what you're doing. So I'm excited. I'm so happy to have you as a friend, as a guest on our podcast. And we're almost near the end. It's been really wonderful. So, Jimmy, if you were to go back in time, what advice would you give the younger you about leadership? Take the risk and be authentic. Be who you are. It's okay to wear who you are on your sleeve. It's okay to be a little goofy if people think that you don't think like they do. It's okay. But do that and take the risk. I love that. Rarely are things accomplished from within the comfort zone. Mm -hmm. Take the risk. Mm -hmm. It's okay. It's okay. And if you take the risk and it's a mistake, you recover. But if you take the risk and it's in the right right direction, that's awesome. 
right. Just do it for the right reason. Awesome. Okay, great. So, Jimmy, is there anything that we haven't addressed that you'd like to share with our listeners? No, other than I would advise all of your listeners that if they get a chance to join another one of your mastermind groups, it's worth the time. It's really a great thing. Really, it's nothing like having a group of people who don't, they don't know you mm-hmm. and, and you don't know them. And so you want feedback. There's your feedback. You want like-minded people. There's your group of like-minded people. I think what you all do, you personally, what you've done in your podcast and what you're doing through the Maxwell Group, I think is great. I think you're right. Servant leadership is the rarity. Power is the norm. But I think there's a place for us Mm -hmm. um, that think differently. Well, thank you, Jimmy. Thank you so much for adding value to my life and to the life of the listeners. It's been really wonderful. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. Hello, leaders. Don't forget to go to masterleadership.org to find out how to get a free coaching session from one of the exceptional leaders that are featured on this podcast. Until next time, bye.